I would say to myself to be a little bit more deliberate with the network that I build. So right now I'm in a position that I have a pretty good network of people around me, not only from a support and mentoring point of view, but also the ecosystem that I solve. So in, in the previous role at Task Drive, it was very much in the sales uh, industry. And that's how I um, am the coach for the Outbound Prospecting course. But if any company comes to me with a sales related challenge, whether that be training, whether it need data, email writing, uh, coaching, whatever it may be, I have people around me that I can refer them to. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hey there, leaders, and welcome back to another episode of Leaders of B2B. Today, super excited to have Mark Colgan on the show from speakonpodcast.com. Mark, thanks for hopping on here today. Hey, Jake. Really glad to be here, and uh, thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, very excited. Um, I know we've we've had some conversations and um, we we've done some some work together in a sense as well. And um, I'm excited though to dive in today and actually just like learn a bit more about you and the journey and the story and everything. But um, for everyone who doesn't know what Speak On Podcast is, can you maybe give us the uh, the quick high level overview? Yeah, sure. So um, Speak On Podcast is a podcast booking agency or more like a modern PR firm uh, where we work with B two B and tech brands, helping them get guest interviews on podcasts. So really helping them feel their brand reputation and revenue by speaking on the podcast that their audiences are already listening to. Awesome. I love that. And uh, I'm always, you know, very interested in, you know, what is the journey or how did this come to be? Or how did you end up starting this company? Like, how did this all begin? Sure. Well, it actually all starts with our mutual friend, David Hensel. So um, uh, David I was, Hensel, great man. <laughs> yeah, great man. And he's like, everybody seems to know David in, in some form or the other. He's a prolific uh, event attender when, when we can travel, when there's no COVID. So um, I previously ran one of David's businesses called Task Drive. And um, I was brought in to kind of optimize the, the, the service offering as well as the, the, the overall running of the business. Um, and after about a year or so, once I fixed and optimized as much as I, I could, I had a little bit more free time on my hands. So um, part of the marketing efforts and generating demand, I started to um, pitch myself as well as David and GQ, one of the other co-founders onto podcasts. And in about three months, I managed to secure around 30, 30 to 40 podcasts for across all the three of us. And then when we started to look at our attribution from a revenue of closed one business, we actually saw that a lot of the, I think it was 40% of the revenue, yeah, 40%, just under 40% of revenue came from podcast interviews. Really unique in the sense that we had a very good message in, uh, and we were saying something that went against the grain, uh, a lot of uh, thought leadership that we were sharing that wasn't really shared elsewhere. And we could identify podcasts that had a really well-defined audience, which resulted in us being able to generate revenue off the back of them. And, and uh, you know, when you speak on a podcast, it's not a guarantee that you will generate revenue, but it's just certainly possible that if you get the right audience and you have the right message, then it's definitely possible. So that that's where that's where the idea. So I, I kind of did that for a while, 
and I'd always been, I'd had an entrepreneurial itch for a few years and I kind of wanted to build a business myself from the ground up, uh, build it perfectly was my, my, uh, my mentality to, to when I first started out. And that was June, 2020. Uh, since then, um, we're now in April or coming into May of 2021 and we've grown to uh, 16 full-time members of staff, hiring two more to start on Monday. And uh, it's just been amazing, an amazing journey having people working as far from uh, Venezuela, Argentina, Brazil to Europe, and then as far as uh, the Philippines and Vietnam uh, and a few others dotted in between, a couple in Africa as well. So it's just amazing to have this globally remote company that didn't exist a year ago. That's incredible. And it's super cool to, to hear the journey and how quickly you guys have grown and everything. Um, I'm curious, you know, what was, what did that transition look like from you guys running this internally at Task Drive saying, hey, this is working to let's go out and actually get customers and build a business? Maybe what were some of those early days or how did you guys actually go about, you know, scaling that yeah. out? Yeah. So it started off with just me doing it at Task Drive. And then when I, when I had had the conversation with, with David and, and mentioned that I'd like to kind of try my own thing, um, David, just being the character he is, he thought, oh, I know somebody who's also thinking about doing this. Let me connect you. Um, so he connected me with my now co-founder, Jakob. Um, it only took uh, like a 45 minute conversation with Jakob. And after we got off the call, we kind of both thought, why, why compete against each other when we could potentially team up and build something bigger uh, than what we could do ourselves? Jakob's background is marketing. Mine is sales and marketing. And I'd previously been running a, a fully remote business. So we decided to divide the work into kind of front of house and back of house. Um, Jakob's a little bit prettier than me. So he's the front of house and I'm behind the scenes making sure everything's working. Uh, so what I did in the first couple of months was just write documentation. I had already been doing this for myself. A lot of the knowledge was in my head. So I just started to document and break out the different parts of the process into a number of different SOPs. Um, whilst at the same time, Jakob was uh, starting to build up some uh, momentum uh, online, usually uh, using LinkedIn uh, to get the messaging out there. Um, and we managed to secure the first few customers through kind of friends and family, people that we knew. Uh, and it was a great opportunity just to test out the processes, see what was going to, to break them, uh, how quickly can we fix some of the things. And fortunately, there wasn't that many things that broke um, because I, we Jakob had been doing it himself. I'd been doing it ourselves. We'd been doing it before. Uh, we knew what the, uh, the the bottlenecks would be. Uh, however, the, the more challenging bottlenecks have come as we've scaled and hiring and, and onboarding four people at a time. Um, we had 10 customers sign up in between Christmas and New Year where I thought it would be quiet. And I took some time off thinking that I wouldn't have to work too much. But um, that really did kind of stress the, uh, the onboarding process that we had. Um, but then having a co-founder to bounce off and, you know, th fix the fix it as we were flying and um, put, in, put in a new process in place that is now ready for the next time it breaks. <laughs> nice. That's phenomenal. And I'm curious. So whenever you're looking at, you know, like I guess B2B companies, they're considering, you know, speaking on podcast, um, guest appearances on podcasts as a, a growth strategy, how do you kind of decide who is a good fit for that and who isn't? Because I know not every marketing tactics for everyone. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it definitely has to be the right strategy for them. Uh, we 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 have turned away customers who said that they want to generate. This is a lead generation play for them, and we we've been honest and said that it's not every interview is going to net you leads. And if that's your priority, then maybe there's other strategies that you need to deploy right now. For us, we look at companies who are already investing in their brand, whether that be they have field marketers and they run events and conferences. 
um, or attend conferences. You look at a conference like Dreamforce, uh, it costs hundreds of thousands to have uh, an exhibition there for the week that it runs in San Francisco and all of the, the rest of the planning and the marketing. So for us, companies who are investing heavily in that um, in, in the field marketing is a good signal for us, as well as companies that have long deal cycles and larger sales sizes. Um, people don't make these decisions overnight and therefore brand becomes more important, especially as you know the world of SaaS is becoming commoditized and different platforms pretty much do the same thing. They just market it in a slightly different way. Um, so brand has become more important. So we tend to work with companies who understand that investing in their brand will pay off dividends in the long run. Nice. That makes, um, that makes a lot of sense. And, and whenever someone is doing, um, getting, appearing on a podcast, you know, what tips do you have for people if they are guesting on a podcast to try to make sure that that's actually going to deliver value for them? Um, I know there's always the ideas and like being contrarian or like doing something that's, you know, say something that's like against the grain. So it sticks and is memorable, but I'm curious, maybe like, what are your kind of uh, your advice for someone when they appear on a podcast? Yeah, I think so. Some some of the companies we work with, when, when we speak to their execs, they are a little bit unsure about whether they have things to share that would be of value. And um, what we remind a lot of our customers is that they're uniquely positioned to see what's happening across all of their customers, usually. Or they're, if they're a software company, they've got data that they can pull uh, insights from and tell a story around it. So we kind of give them a little bit of confidence that um, don't worry, you do know a lot. Um, and what's obvious to you is, uh, is often amazing to other people. And the other thing that we also talk about is that you are not the hero in the journey of your customer. Your customer is the hero and you're the guide. So what advice and what information and what can you share with them to help your customers be and get to the outcome that they're hoping to achieve? And when you have that mentality and mindset, and we've seen it ourselves with our own marketing, I've seen it myself, my own uh, experience in other companies that I've run, Having that abundance mindset and not being scared and not coming from a place of scarcity, sharing as much value as you as you can um, really does pay in dividends. And I think a lot of people are a bit scared of kind of sharing their secret sauce. The reality is 1% of people might copy it. 99% of people won't. And you'll find there's people in the audience that say, Jake sounds like a really good guy. He knows his stuff. Um, I think I'd like him and his team to help me achieve what he says he can he can do. Um, so that, that's typically the advice that I often share. Nice. And I love that. And I've been a big believer of that and it's proven for my businesses as well. If you just give the information away and a lot of people will hire you and yeah, there might be, there will be some copycats, which, um, is fine. So you have to be kind of conscious about the types of stuff. You know, maybe don't give like a script away that I gave some scripts away at some point and then the whole world of LinkedIn turned into using the same scripts that I was publishing. And, and so I've learned kind of where that, that line draws, but the more you share, and I think that that's always like that fear that people have on like sharing too much. It's like, if your business is great at what you do or really provides the value, like rarely will people be able to take that and run with it on their own. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're unique as well. The, the, what you bring to the table, no one else can replicate. So they can copy your processes, but they can't copy your thought process, the way that you approach things, the angles that you see that they can't see. I mean, there's lots of things that we do behind the scenes that speak on podcasts and even to our uh, to build relationships with podcast hosts that we don't share too publicly. And I probably wouldn't want to share it too publicly. We do think that's a little bit of secret source. But everything we do share, I mean, I one of the first blog posts I put together was a 6,000 word guide on how to land your first podcast interview. And again, that mentality of sharing, showing people how they can actually do it because when they're ready to ramp up and book more podcasts and they're running out of time, then hopefully they remember the kind Mark who uh, produced the, produced the content that helped them get to where they are now. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And so I'm curious, you know, it sounds like you guys have had a lot of growth really quickly over this first year. I'm curious, what has been working for you guys in terms of acquiring new customers? Because it seems like you guys have just really soared fast. And so I'm like, what have been some of the channels or things that have been working well? Yeah, so as with most kind of new businesses, especially when there's two co-founders, you get a lot of referrals. Um, so we've um, tapped into our own network of, of people that we know to, to let them know what we're doing. I think that's the simplest thing that you can do is just say, hey, it's been a little while since we last caught up. I'm now doing this thing. We work with this company and this is how we help. Um, so asking if they know anybody that would be interested in working with us. Um, but we've been we've had around 60 percent of new customers come off the back of word of mouth, positive word of mouth from our customers. And that just goes to give credit to the service and the, the quality of the, the service that the team deliver. So a lot of the a lot of the uncontrollable customer acquisition channels have been referrals and word of mouth. What we've done from the more predictable side of things is just double down on LinkedIn. Um, and also uh, we've started cold email outreach, um, but we're still yet to find that being the right channel for us because LinkedIn can go straight. LinkedIn is just a little bit shorter. There's less emails that you have to find. There's less research you need to do. Um, if you know your ideal customer profile, you can find them quite easily, especially if it's in the B2B space on LinkedIn. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm curious on just from a perspective, you know, with the LinkedIn outreach you guys are doing, have you, I know that over the past few months, they've rolled out their, reduced their limits on sending and everything there as well. I'm curious to hear over your experience, but uh, have you seen that actually become be a positive or a negative thing for you guys in terms of your outreach? Yeah, so it hasn't really impacted our outreach. And the main reason being, we weren't playing the volume game to begin with. Um, we're all about relevancy and we're all about starting conversations. Um, Jake, I'm, I'm not sure if you know, but I, I coach a course on outbound prospecting via the, the Sales Impact Academy, and I'm writing a course on uh, email creation, email writing. Um, so this is what I live and breathe every day. I teach and train it. Uh, and one of the main messages that I have for that course is that Prospecting is all about starting conversations. No one wakes up in the morning wanting to buy from you. And if you ask somebody, hey, do you want a sales demo or do you want a sales call? People are just going to say no. Um, so it's all about starting conversations and finding the relevant timings and moments to, to reach out, whether that be looking at who they've interacted with, interacted with on social, that could be a good trigger for you to start the conversation. Or it could be even they've raised a round of funding or they had, um, they're using a particular technology. I think we could record a whole other podcast about uh, lead sourcing triggers and, and playbooks. But um, yeah, relevancy, timing and personalization is what's key to keeping your volumes low, but your reply rate is very high. I love that. And that's um, very similar kind of what we've um, done at Lead Cookie on our side and what we're doing at one of my other companies. And it's it's been interesting where we honestly, we saw like the results have almost increased. Now the 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 LinkedIn limits have like throttled away a lot of the noise and the the unrelevant spamming and stuff and where it makes if you're doing quality outreach it's like it's, I think it's honestly getting going LinkedIn's going to get better as a result of yeah. this. Yeah, another thing I, I I teach the students on the course is that it really doesn't take much to stand out and be different um, when everybody is just kind of shotgun uh, taking a shotgun approach to their prospecting um, they're not personalizing it they're thinking of scale if you actually take the time to personalize and customize your message to be more relevant to the individual you're reaching out, you don't have to send the volume. You, you don't have to do these high numbers and therefore the, the time and effort is, is worth it because you get just, you just get much better reply rates. So um, whether that is you record a video, a voice note, you add in your own GIF, you can make your own GIFs, Jake. I'm not sure if you've tried that yet. I love making GIFs and uh, sending it to people. It doesn't, it didn't take me long to do, but it's, 
I know that 99% of other people aren't doing that. Yeah, I love that. And actually, it kind of leads me to another question is, you know, I see like you've got to speak on podcasts and it seems to be your primary thing, but um, it seems like you're involved in a handful of other kind of things as an advisor, um, consultant, or kind of coach in other capacities. And I'm curious, you know, how do you handle kind of splitting your time or having being having your hands in so many different things? Or how do you kind of think about that? Yeah. So a few, if you look at my LinkedIn profile, it looks like I'm the busiest man in the world. So it's, <laughs> it, but it's not, <laughs> it's, it's not like they're all full-time jobs. So a lot of the coaching and mentoring is very much on demand. So people request my time. If I'm available, I will uh, give, give my time to, to mentor and coach with the, with the prospecting course. Um, that's uh, 12 hours every other month. So it's, it's not a full-time uh, commitment. My full-time focus is uh, speak on podcasts. That's what I'm um, focusing, yeah, pretty much 95% of my time on, except for those months where I run the course for the outbound prospecting. And the product on borders is another business. I have a business partner who um, manages a lot of the work and I help from behind the scenes again, um, just making sure infrastructurally we're all sound and um, things are working behind the scenes to deliver the service. Nice. Well, that's uh, we're, we're similar on the entrepreneurial route. We're always got a lot of things going on. So, <laughs> yeah, well, it, it makes it really difficult to switch off. You know, I was um, it was last Sunday and uh, it got to about 2 p.m. and I didn't have anything planned for work wise. I thought I was going to relax and I just got this idea that I could create this piece of content, spent the next two hours creating the content, put up the landing page and the uh, autoresponder in the, in the following hour. So three hours from sitting down on the coach to actually having something live. And then got a hundred downloads um, in six hours of it going live. Like when you know you can do that, uh, and you've got the skill set to be able to set that all up, it's very hard to do. I watch Netflix and a film, or do I do something that could produce some very positive results for some of my businesses? But there has to be that moment where you do switch off at the same time. Yeah, I definitely get that. Um, I'm curious. So one of the things we were chatting about even before this interview was, I guess, just like the staffing and the people aspect of service businesses. And um, I'm curious, you know, what have you seen with ramping up, you know, a lot of team members in a relatively short period of time? What has worked for you or maybe what have been some of the pitfalls that you've seen over uh, this past year with, you know, ramping up 16 hires rather quickly? Yeah, I've got to give a bit of a caveat. I, I started my career in recruitment and I actually recruited quite high volume levels of, of candidates, mainly into the uh, National Health Service, the hospitals in, in the UK. Um, so it was a lot of admin and clerical roles. Uh, and there was a high high demand for the, for those people. So I, I've been used to recruiting in volume. So there was lots of lessons that I didn't realize I learned until I've actually implemented them more recently. Um, so the first thing, uh, if I was to give advice now, would be assessments. Uh, intentionally make your application process not difficult. I don't want to say tricky, but put a few things in there, which you say that if you don't complete all of these steps, we will not approve and review your application. We work remotely. We are all on Zoom with each other uh, internally within the team and obviously some customer engagement as well. So video and being able to to speak confidently is important. So we ask everybody that applies for a role to um, to record a one to two minute video where it's not asking hard questions. It's who who are you? Where do you live and work from? What's your favorite food? What do you like to do in your spare time? And once coronavirus ends, where would you like to go traveling? Out of 430 applications... Um, 70% of those applications didn't fill out that video. So that automatically tells me that those 70% of people weren't really serious about the, the role or, or committed to, uh, to applying and then also didn't have great attention to detail. And I'll be really honest, and I don't mind admitting it, that they're not the people that I want working in my business. So 
we we put in some steps in the application process for that. And then the other thing as well, um, Jake, you're in a slightly different position to us because podcast editing has been around for a little bit longer. Um, podcast guest booking hasn't been around for that long. And really, there's probably about 300 people on LinkedIn that that do what, what we're looking for. Um, so we really thought about what are the transferable skills that we'd be looking for uh, to hire people that have the skill set, perhaps that they, but they haven't worked in the context of podcast bookings before. So appointment setters, travel planners, PAs, executive assistants, customer service agents, all used to dealing with multiple customers, bookings, managing expectations. Those are the transferable skills that we were looking for. So if you are hiring for roles where there's not a big pool of candidates that have done the exact thing that you've wanted to do, hire the skill set and make sure you've got the right training and onboarding for them. Yeah, that makes sense. I love that. That's, um, I love the assessments kind of piece of it. And like the videos, we do a very similar thing. Um, and you can have fun with them too. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I remember seeing one of yours before you asked them to use a particular word. Is that right? In- I make them say the word moist is the first word. Right. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> we have fun with it. It kind of breeds into the culture as well. But yeah. like I, it's uh, sometimes people go really get really goofy with their application videos or just do really great stuff. And it's like, wow, like mm-hmm. this person went over the top, like this thing's edited. Like this is like, yeah, like, you know, yeah, and, it, and it's, or they just do something really goofy or funny in it. And it just gives you an idea into their personality, which I think is, I swear like this video has become like, probably one of the most telling things out of an application, I think, in a lot of ways. Definitely. We we also, so I got a bit of backlash. I shared it on, on Facebook in one of the, I, I posted the advert in a remote working group and I got um, quite a few applicants from it. So I f- felt like I wanted to give back a little bit. So I said, like, here are eight things that I look out for. And as a recruiter that has recruited for many different roles before, this is pretty sound advice when applying for remote roles. And a lot of people had an issue with the video. And they said that, well, I'm not comfortable to record a video or I don't want to spend hours recording a video. And I, was, and I did explain it as just four questions, very simple. And the reason we need video is because we need to communicate. And video is a great way to, to see how people communicate when you're working remotely. And I still got trolled so hard for giving those very, very, very well justified and I think very reasonable uh, expectations of, of candidates. Another thing as well with the interview booking, sorry, with the um, the application, I, I I didn't do this intentionally, but I said um, paste the link of your video in the uh, in the field in the form field, and I did in brackets say you can use a free tool like useloom.com. The amount of people that said, "Hey, I can't send you a video, or I don't know where to upload the video," it was just mind blowing, and and I, I took the time to reply to to the, these these candidates, and I said. This isn't, I said it a lot nicer in the email, Jake, but I, I said something along the lines of like, we, we hire people to help solve problems, not create the problems. And if you're bringing a problem to us, it's not a very like uh, attractive trait to look for when we're hiring people, when other people are managing to do it as well. And it's a very competitive marketplace that you are recruited, that you are looking to apply for jobs, not just with my company, but with other jobs in general. And yeah, I, I got a lot of crap for that as well. So uh, maybe I should stop being trying to be so helpful. <laughs> no, I get it. Uh, it's, I, I've, I, it's, it makes sense though. Like, like in like the reasoning there makes total sense. My favorite story I think out of it is, um, at one point I just got an email that just said, um, F you and your SE application. Uh, <laughs> and that was someone's response to me just to email. And I was like, well, that is not a person I want on my team. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like it weeds people out and it, it will upset some people, but 
like I, whenever I've got friends that don't do this types of hiring methods, I'm like, how like, are you just looking through like 150 resumes? Like, like, it's just like, that's absurd. Like versus like when you do this, it really cuts it down to where at any given point for a position, if anything, I'm like, I don't have enough decent applicants to look at. Like that's more or less my challenge because like you're just, you, you reduce the amount of applicants or the amount of people that actually follow the instructions down to where you're like, wow, I've got five, 10, maybe 20 applicants for a role, like max that are even like real considerations. So mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And that's a manageable number though. So you can kind yeah. of deal with that. <laughs> much more, much more manageable. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I mean, I'm curious, you know, for you guys, where are you look at seeing taking this business? I know it's relatively new. You guys are seeing a lot of growth, you know, what's your plans or thoughts for the future of this? Yeah. So re- really good question. I think the one thing that I always subscribe to is doing one thing really, really well before moving on to the next thing. And with the guest booking service, we're very, very happy with where we've got we've got got it to now. The challenge becomes scaling and hiring the right people. So the service we know works, we can do things in a very predictable manner. It's just about hiring more people so that we can deliver for the customers that we sign on. Um, so I think I feel that that's my next challenge is just to make sure that is seamless. It's seamless for the customers, but behind the scenes, there's still a lot of work that we need to do to make sure we're giving everybody the best chance to be successful in their role when, when they start. And, and then as we look, you know, podcasting is here to stay. You and I are both in the same industry, so we both feel uh, pretty confident about it, the fact that we're still working in here. I think as I, as I think about how do we um, expand our service offerings into the customers that we're already working with, we see ourselves playing a very important part in the content creation because we're enabling our customers to speak on podcasts and generate that content. So um, I think we've shared shared with you before, we do offer like a content repurposing uh, service for some of our customers, but not every customer takes advantage of that. So I think in the future, we may start to position it as it comes as one package. You kind of ha- you have to have both uh, because we can really give the the ROI of the investment um, back to the to the customers because we when you speak on a podcast it is a brand building play and it's quite hard to show the attribution to that in a short period of time um, so we want to give something a little bit more tangible um, and yeah as uh, from from a personal side it's just amazing to have 16 people working remotely together and offer them a fun place to work where the culture is great um, there's personal development and uh, opportunities uh, that is something that is a very, very happy consequence of doing business these days. And it's just been nice. I've got so many friends who have been unfortunate to lose jobs over the last year or so and face difficulties. And I've been able to help some of those and also help other people find employment. And one thing we haven't mentioned is it's such a positive, uh, it's such a positive feedback loop in the business because we have this channel called uh, Time for Confetti. And every time we get a uh, an interview booked or, or, or confirmation from a podcast host, we post it in that channel and it just blows up with all of the emojis of everybody kind of congratulating each other. And then what we also do is we plant a tree for every interview that we book. So not only are uh, we you know, delivering results for our customers, we're also paying it forward a little bit by kind of pledging to plant a tree for for every podcast. So it's like one one dollar uh, one podcast equals one dollar donation to the, the charity that we're working with. Yes, I'm curious, what charity are you working with? We actually do something yeah. similar at Continental. Oh, I'm curious who you're working with. It's called uh, One Tree Planted. Okay. Yeah, That's I can very, send the link very, after. Very straightforward name. I like that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. It's a bit like we us use, speak um, on podcasts. One called it's e- quite... Yeah. 
Yeah, I was going to say we use a tool called um, Ecology, which is their kind of thing is it's like a subscription. It's almost like a SaaS where basically mm-hmm. you pay to offset the carbon footprint of your team members, um, yeah. which I thought was another really cool kind of interesting way to do it. But I like yours. It's kind of like each as you're doing the work, you're delivering more as well. And so it's, it's cool yeah. to kind of add those things and team members love it. So, yeah, our, our main reporting dashboard, it has like total number of interviews booked, but it has a massive tree emoji next to it. So um, that's that's the emoji that gets used the most in um, when we book an interview. People are pressing like on the uh, emoji, uh, the tree emoji, sorry, in Slack. <laughs> nice. I love that. Um, awesome. Well. Uh, one thing I always like to ask as a final question as we wrap up is if you could go back five to 10 years earlier in your career, uh, what advice would you give your younger self? Ooh, five to 10. So I would say to, I would, I would say to myself to be a little bit more deliberate with the network that I build. Um, so right now I'm in a position that I have a pretty good network of people around me, um, not only from a support and mentoring point of view, but also the ecosystem that I solve. Um, so in, in the previous role at Task Drive, it was very much in the sales uh, industry. And that's how I um, am the coach for the Outbound Prospecting course. But if any company comes to me with a sales related challenge, whether that be training, whether it need data, email writing, uh, coaching, whatever it may be, I have people around me that I can refer them to and um, and introduce them to as well. Um, so building that network of partners that can help people solve the challenges that they have, I get quite a lot of satisfaction of making that introduction and hopefully solving a problem for somebody. You know, some of those arrangements are kind of like referral fees or finders fees, but that's not the, the main motivation. Um, being able to constantly connect people, um, I found that's had an in- incredibly positive uh, impact on my life to like increase that opportunity of uh, the surface area of luck and things happen happening in a very serendipitous way. Um, so yeah, if I went to, if I went back, it would be do that more purposefully earlier. Nice, I love that. Um, awesome. Well, Mark, thank you for taking the time to come on the show here today. You know, if someone wants to go on the in the audience wants to learn more about you and speak on podcasts, where's the best place to go to find you guys online? Sure. Thank you, Jake. Um, the best place to find Speak on Podcasts is speakonpodcast.com. A bit like the tree charity, we wanted to keep it simple. Um, so yeah, speakonpodcast.com. And if you'd like to connect with me on LinkedIn, please do. Uh, it's Mark Colgan. And if you just let me know that you heard me on the leaders of B2B podcast with Jake, that would be awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time to come on here, Mark. This was great. Thank you, Jake. Really appreciate it. Speak to you soon. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.